Welcome to Profit Boss Radio, where successful women have paved the road to their own financial freedom. Each week, your host, Hillary Hendershot, financial coach, money mindset expert, and experienced wealth manager, will help you discover the keys to the wealth and peace of mind you want and deserve in her no-nonsense and authentic style, starting right now. Welcome to Profit Boss Radio. I'm Hillary Hendershot, your host. Today's episode is an Ask Hillary episode. So what I'm doing is taking questions that are submitted to me either inside the private Facebook group. If you go to facebook.com, excuse me, if you go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash profit boss, that will forward you to the private Facebook group. You can ask for admission there, but people write questions and post them there. They also email them to me at info at hillaryhendershot.com. And today I'll be answering those questions. Before we get started, I just want to point you to a survey that I'm asking you to fill out for my podcast listenership. I am only promoting this survey on the podcast. So I want to hear just from my listeners. And I, I'm sure you're on the road or on the bus or on your jog and you're not near your computer right now. But if you could find it in your heart and in your calendar today to spend five minutes filling out a survey would really help me serve you better, know what works for you on the podcast and what doesn't work and help me get better so that I can do a better job of moving you towards your financial goals. Let's get started. Today's first question is from Amanda. Hillary, I know you're always talking about how investing in index funds is better than investing in Wall Street funds. But my question is, should I be invested in anything right now? I keep hearing we're in a bubble and the crash is coming. Should we maybe put some money in cash right now? Good question, Amanda. Here's your answer. I get it. There is a lot of noise about the stock market right now, and maybe for good reason. The Dow blew past the 20,000 mark in late January and then climbed above 21,000 just a month later. So the media has entered into full swing, and it's how much longer can this bull run continue mantra. The current bull market, which began at the trough of the market in 2009, actually turned eight years old on March 9th of this year. All in, the bull market we're now in has raised the Dow an incredible 14,300 points, while the S&P 500 has more than tripled. Actually, it's grown about 250%, so tripled and then half again. I do think that somehow the pundits and the media are in cahoots with one another about when to start beating the stock market bubble drum. That's what they're saying, right? They're saying the crash is coming. They're saying we're in a bubble. They They love that word, the bubble. Although in reality, I think there's always someone saying that the market can't possibly go any higher. I'm, I recently started listening to a financial podcast that was predicting a crash coming back in 2015. If you'd have taken that as gospel and sold out of, say, an S&P 500 index fund, you'd have missed out on more than 13% returns since then. And you can find credible sources on both sides of the debate. Here's a few lines from a recent article on Seeking Alpha, which is a finance blog I think of as fairly credible. It's titled, Janet Yellen, Are We in a Bubble? The article says, point blank, that PE ratios across the stock market are way too high. It shows a bunch of charts, and then it says, we're in the biggest stock market bubble of all time. I'll get to what PE ratios are in just a second, but first let's look across the divide to another expert telling the opposite story. Back at the end of February, Warren Buffett went on the record saying, we are not in bubble territory or anything of the sort. 
Buffett explained that since interest rates are so low, stocks are actually on the cheap side. In other words, interest rates are tied to things like CDs and bonds. And if interest rates are high, then the return I can get on a relatively low risk investment is also high because I can buy a CD or a bond. But interest rates are not high right now. They're low. So stocks are basically the only place I can have my money right now that provides me any kind of interesting return. So that's Buffett's explanation. Let's circle back to PE ratios because it's these numbers that most people are referring to when they assert that the stock market is overpriced. That's how they measure the overpriceness of the market. If something is overpriced, that means that people are paying more for it than it's worth and that prices are going to fall. PE stands for price to earnings ratio, and it's literally the price of the stock now divided by last year's returns. So the multiple there tells you how many times earnings people are paying for one share of the stock. So if your firm earned $10 per share last year and the current price of your stock is one hundred, that's a PE of 10. Pretty simple, right? Where it gets complex is that there's a widespread misnomer that PEs that creep up higher than they've been before always foretell a fall. But that is not the case historically. And even if a stock or industry or the entire stock market is overpriced, there's just no way to know how long that overvalued market might continue to remain overvalued. More importantly, there is no way to know how many tremendously positive trading days you'll miss if you decide to sell out of the market and sit in cash. Here's some of the data on the folly of sitting out of the stock market. So for a $1,000 investment placed in the S&P 500 index fund from 1970 through 2015, you'd have turned $1,000 into $88,454. But if you had missed just the one single best trading day in that 35-year period, you'd have cost yourself $9,000. That's more than 10% of the entire return or net ending account value. If you had missed the five best trading days in that 35-year period, you'd have cost yourself almost $30,000. And if you had missed the 25 best single trading days, you wouldn't have $88,454. Instead, you'd have $21,070. I'm going to put that research in the show notes so you can see the calculation in detail if you want. So Amanda, the answer is that despite what you hear and read in the media, there is absolutely no way to know when the market might head downward. And more importantly, you don't want to take the risk of missing one of the best days. So I hope that helps. So here's something kind of exciting. I am hiring. I am looking for a paraplanner to join the team. A paraplanner is a junior advisor, relationship manager. This person is probably already a certified financial planner or a registered paraplanner. As you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I am not your father's financial advisor, and this is not your typical paraplanner position. This is a really exciting time in the firm's growth, and this will be absolutely a key position. You'll be tasked with managing a family of accounts, including being the direct point of contact for many clients, and you will be a valued part of this growing team. For more details, go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash 65. Look for the link to the job description and specific instructions on how to apply inside the show notes for today's episode. I hope to hear from you. Next question. 
from Patsy. Hillary, I love your podcast. Thank you, Patsy. My question is, what do you recommend for investments after you've maxed out your IRA contributions? I don't have a 401k at work and I'm trying to contribute 10% of my income to retirement savings. I don't have any debt except for mortgage debt. I currently save extra in two Vanguard tax-exempt funds. Is that a good strategy? My answer to Patsy... First, thank you for loving the podcast. And you've asked a really great question, which is basically, I can only put $5,500 into my IRA or $18,000 into my IRA. Where do I save after that's done? So the answer, assuming you don't own a business, is that you put it in an after-tax brokerage account. It's just like a savings account, except it lives as a custodian like Charles Schwab or Vanguard, and you can invest in mutual funds or ETFs in there. You pay tax on the income, and then you're left with the savings, which you can put in a brokerage account. If you're married, they might call it a community property or a joint tenants or joint account, depending on what state you live in. Then you owe capital gains tax anytime you sell shares that are in a gain position. But that's not bad. People who make money pay tax. So you just have to get used to that part. Patsy, I hope that helps. Next question is from Anna. Uh, I have access to buy my company stock and get a match from my employer as follows. Employee contributes 1% to 5% of gross eligible earnings and employer matches 50 cents for every dollar I contribute up to $2,000. The vesting is immediate and there are no brokerage fees. I can sell or withdraw at any time. Of course, if I cash out, there are taxes, but I can also transfer the dollar amount to a retirement savings plan. I know that it's hardly recommended to invest in only one stock, but I'm wondering if the match compensates somehow for the risk. I love your advice. My answer to Anna, and Anna, I'm pretty sure she's in Canada. Anna, this sounds a lot like an ESPP, which is an employee stock purchase plan, which often gives US employees a 15% discount to buy the company stock. So you can just max out the gift and then cash out immediately, especially since you have immediate vesting. You are correct that investing in single stocks is pretty risky. So I prefer the idea of diversifying those funds. Anna actually sent two questions, and her next question is about insurance. Question about insurance. I understand this is a personal decision and has many variables, but how do we draw the line to make sure we're not overinsured? I love health and life insurance. Back in 2016, I had critical illness coverage that I could add, but it seems that I was overinsured and fear of what if was making me pay more money. I'm single and I have no kids, so I don't necessarily need super coverage. I want to have peace of mind and to be prepared for the unexpected. The beneficiaries of my life insurance are my mom, my dad, and my nephew. My answer to Anna, I'm going to divide this question into the categories of the health insurance and then the life insurance. For health insurance, I'll compare this to the American option to purchase long-term care insurance because that's what this sounds like to me. In the US, we don't really worry about being over-insured. There really isn't such a thing because all policies cap out and you can end end up coming out of pocket even if you're insured because our healthcare system is so over-regulated and overpriced and inefficient. But when it comes to catastrophic illness insurance or long-term care insurance, you have to weigh all kinds of factors, your own health, your family health history, how risky your lifestyle is. I mean, if you skydive, rock climb, and scuba dive, you're far more likely to end up with a devastating injury. You also have to weigh your own risk aversion. If you're extremely risk averse and you hate the idea of carrying around the possibility that you might get sick or injured and that it would obviously deplete your finances, you need the extra coverage. 
And if you don't buy the coverage and you get sick and you need it, you might regret not buying it. And that's not an invalid reason to buy it. You also have the option to self-insure, which is what most Americans who can afford it are doing with long-term care costs. Instead of buying the policy, I often recommend to my clients that they earmark a portion of their savings for healthcare costs. I hope that helps, Anna. So now let's talk about life insurance. In my opinion, if you aren't married and don't have kids, you probably don't need life insurance. The purpose of life insurance is to ensure people who are counting on your income to live against the possibility of your accidental death or injury that would leave them without financial resources. So since your parents and your nephew aren't counting on your income, maybe you can cancel your life insurance policy and use the extra money to buy that catastrophic illness or long-term care coverage. Our final question today is from Danielle. She says, I'm debating how to use my savings of $51,000. There are three steps to each of her options. So I'm going to go option one and then one, two, three, and then option two and then one, two, three. And that's her question is, should I do option one or option two? So option one, one, put 5,500 into a Roth IRA. Two, pay my biggest student loan debt of 36,000. Three, keep the remaining 9,500 in an emergency fund. Option two, one, continue making income-based repayment of 225 and plan to have any leftover debt forgiven after 10 years. Two, invest 36000 into an index fund. And three, keep the remaining balance in an emergency fund. And she says there's that word again because she knows that I hate the term emergency fund. Yes. Thanks so much for your patience and kindness. Okay, my answer. You're welcome, Danielle, for my patience and kindness. <laughs> Listen, so I'm looking at your option two and it says continue making income-based repayment of 225 and plan to have any leftover debt forgiven after 10 years. So I think income-based repayment is designed for people with really low incomes. So you get to disappear some of your debt if your income remains really low. And this says for 10 years. So if your plan is to be on income income-based repayment of tuition debt for more than 10 years, in order to do that, you have to keep your income low. I'm not a fan. I don't like that because I would love for you to have total financial freedom. There are millions of people making six figures and more. Why can't you be one of them? This idea that you have to keep your income low to get free money is like being in jail. I just, I just am philosophically against it. I really can't touch the question about whether you should put $36,000 into an index fund with a 10-foot pole because you're not a client and I don't know your time horizon or goals. But I see the main question here is whether you should pay off debt or invest the money. That's what I see is your real question here. And my answer to you is I don't care which one you do first. If your debt has a high interest rate, pay that off. If it doesn't have a high interest rate, start investing. Both of those actions are going to increase your net worth. And that's what I'm really interested in. The debt has you have a negative net worth and the investment has you have a positive net worth. But no matter where you put it, your net worth is going to be impacted the same. The key is don't spend it. Danielle, thank you so much for your question. And thanks for being a Profit Boss. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Profit Boss Radio. And I would love to receive your financial questions at info at HillaryHendershot.com. Or again, join us in the private Facebook group and we'll see you there. Hey, Profit Boss. Yes, you. Lean in here. I've got something to tell you. 
Do you remember that movie Mean Girls with Lindsay, whatever her name is, and the fabulous Tina Fey? It was all about this group of in-girls, the plastics. And Lindsay Lohan plays the new girl who wants desperately to be part of the clique. You get the picture. Tina Fey was hilarious in that, by the way. Did you know she wrote it? Anyway, I want to tell you about another group on Facebook. It's nothing like the plastics. I mean, come on, we're not in high school anymore. And seriously, it's much cooler to lift each other up instead of tearing each other down, don't you think? Because as we all know, as women, it can be tough to know who to trust when it comes to getting real about money. That's why I'm so proud of all the courageous women in the Profit Boss Facebook group. It's kind of like hanging out with your best friends. You know, ladies who've earned the right to be called your friend because you're not afraid to show a little bit of vulnerability. It's like that. And by the way, we let the men join too. So if you want to be part of a group of wholehearted women and men who aren't afraid to grow and support each other, give us a visit and bring your friends. Just go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash profit boss and you'll immediately be redirected to a place where you can request admission, which we will give you willingly. I'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to Profit Boss Radio, where creating success on our own terms happens every day. You're not alone in your journey to a rich life, and that's why Hillary is here to add value in each and every episode. See you next time on the podcast for women and money.